Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Weaving Myths Season 2. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games, and specifically, playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today are Colin. Good evening, everyone. And Ruben. That's me. Uh, Mordai will be joining us in just a little bit, but he is running a little late. Anyway, we are all moderators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website. Colin is an administrator, but that's okay. I included him in that moderator category because he's in charge of all of us moderators. Uh, and we're here to help bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you, too, would like to be part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Discord server every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Last week, we talked about Game Rescue but didn't quite get to finish talking about it, so we'll be finishing up that topic. We'll also be talking about co-GMs and revamping character. After that, we'll open the floor to a live Q&A session from the text chat where anyone can ask us anything, be it about Mythweavers, gaming, or anything else they want to know. So, the first topic on the agenda, we're going to finish up our game rescue topic from last time. Uh, and the first thing we're going to talk about is what happens when your game stalls. So how do you pull your game out of a stall where it seems like everybody's taking forever to post? You having trouble encouraging people to post? Like, it just seems like it's slowed down a lot. Well, first, uh, we're going to be assuming that uh, this slowdown is actually a slowdown and not somebody who's just disappeared. I mean, you kind of have to do your due diligence to make sure it's not slowing. It's establish it's actually a slowdown and not a disappearance. Which really just means reaching out to them, sending them a private message on the website, you know, checking, seeing when the last time is they were active on the website, that sort of thing. Yep, and so once you determine whether or not they're just posting... Um, well, I guess before we go there, if the GM is the one that's slow to respond, then players themselves, they can take it on themselves to find a way to keep the game moving during lag periods. Um, they can consider creating like a side thread that tells an in-character story that wouldn't fit in the current context of the main story. Um, I actually, in my Starfinder game, my players have been doing this a lot, and it's really cool to see them doing things and writing things that aren't part of the main story. Yeah, and if you do this, I recommend either doing it as a prequel or some other kind of asynchronous time setup to where players can not have to worry about the main plot interrupting what they're doing on, the, on their own. I've actually had Chimi do this in the game that they're all still waiting on me to get started, so he's had a side thread running as the ship's counselor interviewing all the new crew. Oh, that's awesome. He is a little too good at getting into that race. Oh, what race is that? Uh, it kind of looks like, uh, so this is the planet mercenary system, the uh, game system set in the schlock mercenary universe. So, ah. well, Chimi said it, he's pretty much playing a space raptor. Ooh. Except okay. the space raptors are more peaceful, and their mortal enemies are cute-looking koala bear-looking aliens, who are the violent ones. Looks like Mordai might be here, but there might be audio trouble. Yeah, so side threads are useful. Another thing you do as a GM, especially if you notice it's you as GM that's kind of slowing things down, maybe ask one of the other players if they can help with some of your GM duties. Uh, like if you got a guy who's really into the mechanics, maybe have them help with the mechanical side of things. If you have somebody who's good at like just driving plot, maybe give them a little more autonomy. Uh, Give them a little more individualism to move forward. Hey, guys. Hey, Mark. Hey, there we go. Discord updates. Gotta love them. Yep. So, everyone, nice. welcome, Mordai. Hey, man. So, Mordai, I'm not sure how much you were keeping track of the conversation, but we're just talking about what to do if the GM is the one that's slowing down the game. Well, I actually have been keeping track, and unfortunately, this has happened to me a lot. Um, I think you guys have hit on big things with having players with autonomy willing to drive the plot forward in your absence. Um, but uh, you can also help by having an extra GM on hand. I mean, if you have a partner, it's a lot easier for somebody to be available, even if it's not you that's that somebody right now. Yeah, and uh, we're going to go into actually how to use a co-GM a little bit later in the episode to Indeed. 
But uh, one of the side benefits is, and I'll, I'll put in a plug for the Rescue Society again here, if you already have a second GM in place, then you're a step ahead when it comes to, oh, the GM isn't actually just slow, they're needing to disappear for some reason, and then now we need a, another GM. Well, you've kind of got one already in place. All right, so what do we do if maybe the slowdown isn't because of the GM, it's instead because of a player? So one thing I've noticed that can cause people to slow down and ultimately stop posting entirely is if the post the rate of posting in the game is way too high for that person to keep up. Um, I actually had to leave a game just recently because of this issue. The other members of the game were posting like every day, and I just can't keep up with that. I have to. I have other things I have to do, and I just don't have time to post every single day. Yeah, and as the player, you should probably be cognizant of that and do the right thing and bow out if that's the situation. Yeah, and hopefully as a GM, you've kind of laid out what the posting expectations are at the beginning. But, you know, sometimes you just get very excited players who are available a lot and willing to post a lot. It may be worth letting them know, hey, can we scale it back a bit? I know you're really excited about this game, but you know, we're leaving half the party in the dust because they just don't have enough time to keep up with the cycle of your conversation. By the time they have wanted to respond to point A, you're already on point C. Now, if you're a slow player or, or you know you're going to be away for a couple days, you, know, you can use the uh, asynchronous nature to your advantage in play-by-post. You can kind of sketch out, these, these are what I'm thinking, here's the line of thought that I, I'm trying to pursue, or say we're in combat, here are the actions that I think I would take based on where, where the situation is developing, um, and then lean on one of your co-players to either post in your absence along those lines or the GM can do it. Either way, take yourself out of what we call the critical path of uh, keeping the action flowing. Yeah, and uh, another thing you could do is uh, if you got a slow player, maybe sort of like a co-GM, give them a player buddy, someone that can help them out a little bit. Uh, maybe you share a bit more of your uh, character secrets with them so they can kind of sort of assume responses from you. Or if you're having trouble with the mechanics because you're new to the system, maybe have them help you with the mechanics. That can sometimes help. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one one player in particular. Like, especially when it comes to mechanics, I know there are several people on, on the website who are very well versed in certain systems. So this is both for players and GMs. You can't really be afraid to say, hey, this is the rule. What do you guys think about this interpretation? Or for new players who don't know the rules as well, say, hey, just feel free to ask anyone. We all know what the rules are, and we're happy to explain them to you. You just gotta ask. Another option, too, if you've got kind of, you know, part of the party is posting rapidly, the other part is at a slower pace, is you can split the party into two groups. Now, doing something like this does put more load on you as the game master. But if you have the time and you can actually make that additional commitment, you can wind up with two really good groups that are able to progress at the speeds they would like. This is a, uh, this is a situation where a co-GM would be really helpful. Absolutely. 100%. And we have talked in the past about splitting up your group and splitting the party. Um, I f Does anyone remember what episode that was exactly? Uh, no. Sometime mid-season one. Episode six or seven, I think. That sounds about right. Yeah, should really get better about re uh, referencing old episodes. Yeah, we got to look back. Otherwise, we occasionally worry about, hey, we should cover this topic. Oh no, no, we did that on season one, episode one. Yeah. Um. So, what if instead of having like one or a couple of players being slowed down, it's just the party is usually pretty good, but you've got to decide. Like, how are we going to break into the warehouse? Or, oh, are we to go attack the wizard? Basically, what happens when your group gets bogged down in analysis paralysis? Ooh, yeah, I've, I've had this happen, unfortunately, too many times where I think I'm being clever and, and letting them have the initiative when, in fact, they're sitting there staring at my post and wondering, how the hell do we go forward with this? you got to give them clear paths. They can't read your mind, and unlike a tabletop, you don't see their blank stares when they're over on the other side of the world looking at their computer screen. So that uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure here. Um, set up leads and set up directions, but 
you know, don't necessarily make them so many or so divergent that they just don't know where to start. And I will point out that in uh, mystery intrigue games, which I know we have talked about in the past, um, this can be especially true. You don't want to give them too many options, but you still want to give them a bit of freedom. And ultimately, you still have to bring the plot back to a single thread. To so even if you give them multiple choices, it still has to move things forward along the... So, especially for like mystery games, I like to follow the three-clue rule. Every every lead that leads you somewhere else should have three clues to point to the same place. That way, if they miss one, they still have two more they can find. And we went into a, a lot of detail with that previous episode. Oh, that's right. We did. We did mystery games. And even if they can't make a choice, if they're just sitting there staring at all of your options, it's pretty easy to just give them a hint. It doesn't. You don't even have to have it be your first option. Just pick one of them and give it a little extra a little extra nuance, something that can kind of nudge them in one direction over another. They may glom onto that. They may decide to go in a different way, but you're at least giving additional information that can try and help them out of the rut that they're currently in. A really good way to do this is to send in the ninjas. And by send in the ninjas, I mean throw action at the party. And it doesn't have to be tough action. It doesn't have to be great action. In fact, it should probably be pretty easy action to defeat but after that action is resolved, it should give another clue of where the party should go. I mean, the ninjas don't have to be ninjas. If it's a gangster game, maybe it's rival gangsters. But yeah, send in the ninjas. When in doubt, blow something up. Or that. Over in the text chat, Shibby Amy points out, give a time limit if needed. That can be sometimes a little difficult to handle in a play-by-post context where time is kind of irrelevant when people are posting on a day-by-day scale as opposed to a a minute-by-minute or instantaneous scale for a face-to-face game. Uh, But you can give the illusion of a time limit, remind them that action is progressing around them, and that's where those ninjas come in handy. You know, if if the players don't trip across the plot, have the plot trip across them. You know, I'll also mention that giving a time limit can also be really handy if your players get stuck planning something. So maybe they know what they want to do, they're just trying to figure out how to do it. Um, I know this happens a lot in Shadowrun games, where the players have a clear goal, but how they go about accomplishing that goal gets the entire game stuck. So giving a time limit can also force your players to not get so deep into the gritty details and make decisions uh, like more... And so one thing I've also done, especially with Shadowrun, is when my players like make knowledge rolls or when they're trying to plan... I let them make roles to actually start declaring their own details. Because once you give players the freedom to declare their own details, they're going to start declaring details that work with the plan they want to do. And that can kind of also get you over the hump. Yeah, Tiffany Corda over in text chat reminds us, and I, I know we've said this before, to be extremely judicious about red herrings, um, particularly in a, a play-by-post format. A dead end can literally stall the game and put us back you know, at the beginning of the cycle, because as soon as people, players start learning not to trust the DM's leads, then it doesn't matter how many good ones you give them. They'll try and discount them, find out reasons why they're wrong before they pursue any of them. Yeah, and, you know, and if it comes down to it, if you're a player, especially one of the more proactive players that the rest of the group tends to follow, just forge ahead yourself and just hope the group falls with you. As long as the party follows with you, people should be able to keep you from getting killed by whatever you charged at. Yeah, you got to be careful. You need to be a, a uh, character within the party that has a shred of credibility and not just the uh, lone gun who has a habit of going off on their own. They might just let you go. Parties will only take a Leroy Jenkins incident so many times. <laughs> Remind me to mention that again in Mythweavers After, because I have... I found out something interesting about that. Oh, that it was actually a planned thing? Yeah, it was fake. <laughs> Leroy uh, Jenkins. <laughs> Moving on. So, general malaise in games. Sometimes a game stalls out. There's not really a clear reason as to why. Um, so, if this does happen, you need to figure out what caused it or what things caused it and figure out how to address it. So... This is a tough one I've found on play by post, but you have to be able to be honest with yourself about the like. Sometimes you have an idea for a game, and the idea is just so cool that you don't want to drop it. But 
if you're not able to take a step back and realize, you know, this game is just not going the way I thought it was, or this game is just not fun anymore, then you're you're really just lying to yourself. But you have to be able to say things like that about your games. If you can't, then you're going to end up just completely lost with... Yeah, like Tiffany Corda says, if it's work, then kill it. Like, if you're having to work at it more than you're having fun with it, then it's time to just let the game go. Um, the, the web, Mythweavers is all about having fun, ultimately. If you're not having fun, then what are you doing? So, like, you just gotta be able to be honest with yourself and say, you know, this just isn't fun anymore. And your players need to be able to do that too. If you and your players can't have an honest conversation about the state of the game, then it's it's hard to determine what exactly is wrong with the game and how to fix it. Yeah, and why you should definitely be polite and understanding of everyone else's feelings. You also need to be honest. You're not doing anybody good if you are kind of pretending you like it when you really don't. Be a dick about it, but definitely be honest about it. Yeah, if you've already decided in your mind that that... that- it's just not going to fly and it's not them. It's you. You, you just have to be open and say, Hey guys, I, I'm not feeling it. I can't keep this up. Maybe there's a way to work it out in a graceful way. Maybe someone is interested in taking over as a GM and you can, you can have a transition period. But you know, if that's, if that's not going to happen, you got to say, okay, it's done and, and sorry. And there's going to be plenty more opportunities to game. I would much rather have a game die. Because it just wasn't working out. And then I get back together with some of those same people, you know, six months later and we have a great time because that's what it's all about, right? We're here to have fun. Yeah. No gaming is better than bad gaming. Uh, so once you're kind of been honest about it and you decide, okay, we really do need to fix this. Uh, a lot of times the problem can actually be the game system you're using. Uh, I've been in several games that have actually changed systems kind of mid game and it's not a bad thing to do. Uh, it can certainly work, especially if you're finding that like the role play is really good and people are going to, but every time you go down to throw dice, you're like, Oh man, I don't know what we're doing. The character doesn't really do what I want him to do. And so maybe look around, maybe there's a better system you can find. If the system is slowing things down, maybe look for a simpler system. Uh, if it's too crunchy, look for something a little more narrative. Uh, it's a really kind of good way to give a shot in the arm to a game uh, if the mechanics are the problem. Yeah. And while you're doing this, you should probably leave an open roleplay thread so players can keep roleplaying while everybody converts their characters to the new system because that can stall a game out pretty Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's like redoing the uh, advertisement character creation process. Do everything we said in that episode. Make separate threads in a separate thread group where people can work on their character concepts and keep it out of the, the inline conversation of, uh, of the story as it's going forward. Uh, probably goes without saying that if you were in a mechanics-heavy segment of the story, you need to transition out of that into something where people can find their uh, find their inner persona. Especially in play-by-post, going mechanics-heavy, especially lengthy combat sessions, can really wear on a game in the play-by-post format. You no, know, I actually... Oh, go ahead, oh, Nate. Okay. Uh, so I'll also mention that you know, you can really have the opposite problem, too. You can have a problem where the me- the game system you're using doesn't have a way to handle what you're trying to So if it's too rules light, you can have the same problem where suddenly you need to determine the success or failure of something, and the game system has no way to handle that. And at that point, you're getting into the territory of house rules and, like, rewriting the system to include whatever you're trying to do whatever you're trying to do, and it's just a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, I mean, the system needs to at least moderately fit what you're doing. So what you're saying is, don't try to make every game into a Pathfinder game. I mean, yeah, basically. Sure, and I won't try and make everything freeform either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, so you can have issues with the game system itself, but you could also have an issue where uh, the tone of the game is just not what the group seems to gel around what they're going for. Um you know, if the players come in and they're gung-ho for a dungeon-crawl, murder-hobo, secret-collect-style game, but you've got this character-driven foray into the psyche of the collective soul of adventuring in mind, well, chances are that probably is never going to mesh, but at least give it a try. Try and work styles towards some sort of collective tone that, that 
everyone goes out there and enjoys. It's possible that, you know, maybe you just were a little bit too uh, dark and stormy night of the soul and you can lighten it up a bit and, and still meet most of what you were going after, but get the players out of the um, inner monologue angst where they never interact with each other and the game is just uh, dull. You've been uh, reading a lot of Chandler lately, uh, Mord? So it had a very Chandler vibe to it. I'm just channeling. Channeling yeah. Chandler? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really an extreme example of style difference. More typically, you go in with a uh, an idea that you're going to be relatively uh, crunch-heavy, you know, grind it out, and the players are in it for maybe a little more uh, lighthearted uh superhero swashbuckler swinging on ropes type of uh, easier success rate than you had in mind. That can probably be bridged relatively easily. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, I guess I know how we're filling this silence this episode. <laughs> oh, I stuck it in my own head. Why did I do that? <laughs> you deserve that. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, and if the... Pro- uh, we went over motivation, right? I think to a certain degree. I mean, if it's if it's that people just aren't motivated to post, you have to have that honest conversation about, hey, what would it take to make this game more exciting again? Um, it's definitely something that has happened to me a fair amount. You go through a really awesome, intense sequence, and you get to the denouement, and people are like, oh, man, I really missed that, that really intense thing that we were just doing, and this game just isn't exciting to me anymore. Um, you know, maybe it's time to ride off into the sunset. I think we uh, covered that pretty well. I've got nothing further to add to it. Alrighty, so our next topic is going to be co-GMs. And I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, that you can find a co-GM for basically any situation. But, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits of finding a... Well, okay, no, before we do that, what is a co-GM? And what, like, how do they help you with your game? So, uh, co-GM is literally another game master that runs the game with you. Uh, ideally, you're working in a partnership, you're communicating well between the two of you, and you both work on the same game. And Mythweavers does support multiple GMs in one game, so that's pretty easy to do uh, just with the side itself. Now, at its most basic part, you know, as we mentioned earlier, the idea of the co-GM is you get to distribute the workload between two people instead of having to take it all on yourself. So if you're running, say, multiple parties, or if you've got some real-life stuff going on that's kind of dragging you away, having that second person really helps with balancing out the load. Yeah, and the more players you have, the more exponentially they're going to help. Yeah, so having multiple GMs means you can, in general, take on more players than normal. So normally, I think we've recommended in the past that you should look for anywhere between four and six players. With a co-GM, you could probably look for somewhere between six and eight. Um, I mean, I don't know what the upper limit would be on that, or what the ratio of GMs to players would be. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on that one game that's so... running multiple things with multiple GMs right now. Well, let's see. Chi and I are actually co-GMing a Dresden Files game. He got a little overly ambitious and invited eight or nine players in, and I was having trouble with the player coming up with the character, so I'm like, I'll just help you run. It's early days, but so far it seems to be good. (laughs) Tiffany says, with wonderful, wonderful players, as she humble brags. (laughs) And Chimi. Really, the big crunch about how many players you can handle comes down to how much action each of them can get in the context. So breaking it up into multiple parties with separate GMs is a way of achieving more players in the story and and really, really, really makes it more likely that A, the GM can keep up with it, and B, the players don't feel bored because they're isolated from the center of the action. Yeah, uh, generally GM response time is also better because with two players, especially if you're on like different time zones, such like that, there's a better chance of a GM usually being online to answer questions. Can you mean you can post a little bit faster or that the posting rate kind of really smooths out? Or your GMs can even give each other a break. So, like, if one GM gets burnt out or has something in real life come up, they can defer to the other GM for a short amount of time and then come back when things are better. Yeah, uh, 
that mm. the redundancy even means that if the other GM has to drop out, hey, you still have a GM going. You got to be careful, though. I mean, there's lots of great things that come along with having the extra person in the party. But, you know, the old saying, too many cooks can spoil a broth. I mean, you got to make sure that when you add a co-GM or you start a game with two GMs, that you are on the same page relative to how the game's going to go down. What's the style? What's the concept? Where are we going? What's the ultimate goal so that everyone's driving in the same direction? Right. And in doing that, you're going to have a loss of control on both sides because now this is a partnership and you can't always do it 100% the way you want to do it. You kind of have to respect the wishes of your fellow GM. Finally, you've also got an increased need for communication both between yourself and the other game master as well as with your players. You know, if players are asking one GM one question, you have to make sure the two of you have coordinated so you would both give a similar answer. You're not going to be wanting to have a situation where your players are playing the he said, she said game. Yep. I cannot stress the communicate aspect. And like, even if you're coming into a game as a co-GM, you have to communicate, communicate, communicate. We say this all the time on the show, but it never gets any less important. Communication is the number one thing that keeps games alive and keeps games fun and interesting. So if you're a co-GM, you have to check in with your other GM frequently to make sure that you're both on the same page, you both know what's coming up, where the game is going. Like, you have to both be working towards the same goal. And if you're working against one another, that just spells disaster. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, you have to have a dedicated thread just for GM-to-GM discussions so that you're even talking. Um, But I would really recommend having a separate thread where you're documenting what are the game's long-range goals and then break that down further step-by-step until you get to details about, okay, here's some events that I'm thinking about running or throwing at the party in the near future and kind of you know, structuring it a little bit so that my partner knows what I'm thinking and can play off of it because that springboarding effect of one person coming up with an idea and another person taking it to the next level and then the first person coming back and, and, and jumping off of that can really be a powerful tool for good in the game. Uh, but if you're, you're hopping back and forth in directions, it's just going to confuse the players and lead to, uh, as Nate put it, disaster. Now, one of the good communication methods that's been used more and more, especially on Mythweavers, is using Discord. It makes it a little easier to get rapid responses back and forth between players, between co-GMs, because, you know, between the your computer dinging to say you got a message, or if you've got the mobile app, your phone dinging to say, hey, you got a message, it's going to be a little quicker than, you know, checking the website once or twice a day. I just got to say at a personal level, Discord has done so much to help me with my games. Being able to have separate channels for each of my games, that kind of instant contact is so helpful. Uh, so, uh, another thing you do is recruit a known quantity as your co-GM. And yes, you did just hear a cat. Uh, so, when you're going to find another GM, find someone you know. Someone you know you work well with and that you've role-played with a lot. Uh, this is not the kind of game where you can uh, recruit just Joe Bob out of the... Uh, out of the forums, you need to uh, grab someone you respect, someone who you know your GM style is going to gel with. I'll put a slight caveat on that. If your balance is going to be that there's a head GM who's kind of teaching a younger GM the ropes, someone who's a little less experienced but wants to, to get their toes in the water, yeah, then then you can go a little bit more random. It'll, you know, Certainly, you got to talk about, okay, here's, here's what I've got in mind for my game, and here's where you can help. Here's okay, here, me as the apprentice, here's the type of things that I want to learn, and then me as the GM, here's here's what I'm going to do to try and achieve those goals. But again, communicate. If you're not talking to the person, if you just picked them up and said, hey, I need some help for this game, and they say, sure, I can help you with this game. Uh, disaster. <laughs> Is that the word of the day? This it's episode so of the Mythweavers Podcast brought to you by Disaster. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and we're running the other way as fast as we can. <laughs> no, that was the old Pee Wee's Playhouse reference. You know how the old scream when the word of the day came up? So, 
if you're not really certain with your co-GM selection, which can happen, even if you find someone that you know and you've played with before, something that can help you guys work together is if you both run separate plot lines. So maybe you two are have two different groups that are going through the same plot. Um, you can communicate back and forth between one another to kind of coordinate how the game is going. So this can be a great way to build a relationship between two GMs and make you guys work even closer. That way, when you do finally get to working as one plot line, you guys are ready for it. You've already been communicating. You've already been working with your players and your your other GM. Um, it can help your players, or it can help you guys work together closer than otherwise. I don't know if that made sense. Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, instead of breaking down by plot, you can also break... Uh, your roles uh, by kind of type. So if one of you is really good at running combats, but not so great at handling the NPCs, uh, maybe you split the thing up that way, uh, letting each GM work to their own strengths. Yeah, that definitely favors uh, systems that are very rules intensive. You can even break it up further where, you know, if it's got rules for social combat versus rules for, you know, sword v. sword combat, yeah, the, the latter is something where I certainly uh, find that often my players know more than I do. Um, so, you know, reach out, get the help, find a teammate, someone that you can trust, and uh, it'll go fine. All right. Does anyone have any final thoughts before we move on to our last topic of the evening? Uh, just that I think everybody should maybe try using the code GM once. I think it's a rewarding experience. Colin? Mordai? I would say we covered things thoroughly. All righty. Well, our next topic is revamping or improving a character. So sometimes players find that they're just not having fun with their character anymore. Uh, what can you... So we're going to talk about what you can do as a GM or even as another player to help them improve their character or rebuild their character so that it's more fun. Um, the first thing I usually notice about players who aren't having fun is if they're mechanical the mechanical side of things is not on par with everyone else. So where you might have a character that's really good at something, their character might not be good at anything. Uh, this, uh, go ahead. Usually this part of the character is one of the easiest things to fix because you just make some changes on their character sheet and call it good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, well, and those are bigger than cats. Uh, it's usually pretty straightforward, um, because you can watch it happen in the, in the, line of the story you got five six different players they all have different goals this party heads off in one direction and it goes in a way that the the character no longer has a way to contribute in the dice rolling side of the game um, that's that's you know really not necessarily any problem anything that they did wrong um, but you got to be able to identify what it is about their choice that isn't working the way you expect it identify the flaw get very specific about it um if it's more than one thing, you may have to consider a, a more strategic approach to character recreation, which we'll discuss later. But for now, let's let's just assume that it's one thing. This this thing is bothering me, and I need to go fix it. And once you've identified a flaw, make sure the character, the player, agrees with you that that's the flaw. You might see a problem somewhere, and the player might say, oh, I don't care about that. I instead care that I can't really shield bash like an awesome guy. And for particularly for well-played systems, but pretty much with any system that's played at all on the weave, you're going to have someone who's well-versed in the mechanics of that system. Hopefully, they're already in the game with you, and you can reach out to them and say, hey, can you help player A become the shield-bashingest basher that ever bashed? They'll probably be glad to offer their expertise, and it helps you know engage them in the game in another way. And if one of them isn't in the game... You can always reach out to the community. I've never seen the community reject a request for help. And with as large of a player base as we have, chances are there's somebody on the weave who knows that system really. Yeah, gaming discussion is a great way to uh, to reach out to that player base. There's a quick question and answer thread there that if it's just something where you need a, a rules pointer or you know, tell me how I do this real quick, you can get a quick response. If it's something where you want help with a, a broad aspect of mechanical building, you probably want to make your own separate thread for it. Either way is fine, though. Uh, Discord channel can also uh, offer advice, usually. Yeah, the Discord has 
and I'm gonna humble brag a little bit about our Discord server, but the Discord server has, let me see, we have 575 members on the Discord server. So I guarantee there is someone on the server that can help you with a mechanical question if you So once you get to the area of making, uh, the, you know, when you're going to be making changes, don't be stingy about this. Let the player kind of fix the problems as free a reign as you can. It's not the time to follow the rules in the book. Yeah, you can you can only tell people to turn to page two of the player handbook so many times before they throw the player handbook at you. <laughs> now, as always, these sorts of problems are best solved before the game starts. Um, it starts with the GM primarily picking characters for the game. Um I know we've talked in the past about how to make a decent decision on what characters you should allow into your game. And sometimes you look at a character and on paper it looks good, but in practice it doesn't work out. But usually these sorts of problems should be fixed before the game even starts. Like, don't give it a chance to become a problem. Fix it before it is a problem. Yeah, otherwise you'll get the, uh, hey, I want to play an illusionist. Great, illusionists are fun. This game is going to center completely around undead. And now your illusionist is useless. <laughs> Sad trombone. <laughs> so what do you do with the character at this point? You really liked them and you glommed onto them and then you started throwing skeletons and zombies and, and they said, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, depending on the GM... Sometimes you can be flexible with your players players and their characters and let them make changes. So, like, um, it lost my train of thought. Is this, um, does this, like, puppy dog, you know, when you're trying to pick out a car that the, the car salesman will be like, take it home, drive it for the night, see how you feel about it. Yeah, pretty much. All right, I'll help Nathan out a little bit. Uh, basically, especially for me, I try to give characters a fair amount of try before you buy on uh, characters. You have like three, maybe four sessions before all the mechanics are really locked in. Before then, you've got the um, you've got the uh, permission to really radically change things if you need to. Yeah, that flexibility can also needs to extend to some degree. Um, if you have a less structured game, you know, more sandboxy style where the players are driving the direction of the plot. They could drive it completely away from any of the strengths of a given player just because, well, maybe that player doesn't really have strong feelings about the plot. They're not advocating for a role that would uh, that would play to their strengths. So as a GM, you got to be aware of that ebb and flow and, and be the voice for the voiceless player who's um, silently and, and slowly getting shunted off into a corner. Absolute worst case, you can always do a complete retcon of a character as well, especially if their abilities aren't really well established, or they aren't really central to the storyline. So it's very easy to go back, especially earlier in the game, and do a complete revision of a character so that it's more suitable to the story. Sure, and if it, if it does come to a full revamp of a character, sometimes the easiest way to handle that is to just write out the old character and replace it with a new one. Um rather than having the same character just suddenly have a completely different set of abilities and skills. Yeah, either way you go, you really have to... It comes down to the communication thing that we've been harping on all episode here. Talk to the player about what they want to achieve, what's going to make them happy, what's going to make the game fun for them, and then draw out a plan for how you're going to get from where you are now to where you're going to be. Involve the other players as you need, because... Ultimately, they're the ones who are going to get to play with whoever this new character is that suddenly jumps in. Um, you want to make it sure that it stays fun for them, too. And speaking of keeping it fun for everybody involved, sometimes the problem with the character is the story concept. Like, sometimes it's how the character fits into the plot of the game. Maybe they're perfectly capable of handling the challenges thrown at them, but sometimes they just don't fit into the story like it's their care you ask their character why are you even here like are you part of the story or did you just show up and now you're just doing this thing for no reason yeah first you have to make sure as the gm that you don't have one of the player archetype issues that we talked about earlier in season one if you've got a guy who's just hell-bent on playing the loner 
it doesn't matter what character concept he has, he's still going to be a loner and not fit in with the rest of the group. So you should also be flexible. Uh, sometimes players get kind of stuck in the mode of, this is the only way this character would act in this situation. Like, Bob is a barbarian, and Bob always barbarians his way through every problem. Uh, it's important to remember that characters grow and develop, just like, you know, us. Uh, sometimes they make choices that are against their better judgment. Sometimes they make really good choices against their usually stupid judgment. Um, encourage players to kind of let their characters grow and change as the game, excuse me, progresses. And that's true of any character. Like, characters are not static. They should not stay the same from beginning to end. They should be able to evolve and adapt and become better, or not necessarily better, but maybe include more character traits that make them more of a fleshed out character. Yeah, I mean, everyone can look at their own life, their personal history, and see inflection points where, you know, a situation caused them to reflect or they made a choice that they later regretted. They had a revelation. They learned something new that just set them off in a different direction. And this is the same way that characters can get propelled forward. You, if you, if you are just, I, I created this build at level one and I know exactly where I'm going from level one to level 20 and this is the way it's going to be. I just don't see how that can be very interesting or exciting and, and can, easily lead to one of those situations that we talked about above where I'm not contributing to this particular situation, so I'm going to pick up my marbles and go home. Another thing you can consider, too, is changing the game circumstances a little bit, throwing in some scenarios that are going to let that character step into the limelight. So if the character is a thief, give them an opportunity to go after a big score to help the party or throw them in jail, give them a chance to break out. If they're a bard, and bards often get the short end of the stick in stories, give them a chance to perform, gain prestige for the party, something along those lines. You should always be looking for a way to give each of the PCs the limelight at some point in time so that you're not shunting certain characters off to the side. Well, that's just good GM advice in general. Make sure everybody has a chance to shine. And if one player is lagging, move the spotlight toward them a little faster than you would otherwise. And if they're not taking it, well, you can have that separate communication discussion with them about, hey, I thought this scene would really, you know, help you get into the game or give you an opportunity to do some things. You didn't grab it. Is there a reason why? Sometimes maybe you just didn't understand what they were really going for. Fixing that communication problem will make the game more fun for everyone. All right. Well, I think we have covered that fairly well. Do we want to say anything else before we move on? Have we said communication enough? No. You can't. <laughs> Without good communication, there will be disaster. <laughs> Word of the day. All right, and with that, we are going to move straight into the Game of the Week. This week's Game of the Week is Zeitgeist, being run by B. Watford. Zeitgeist is an adventure path for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. The players will be serving in the Royal Homeland Constabulary in the Nation of Riser, protecting the country and its citizens from threats both without and within. B. Watford has described the types of characters he's looking for as steampunk versions of James Bond, Jack Ryan, or MacGyver. B. Watford is looking for somewhere between four to six players that can give detailed, interesting posts that are prepared to have their actions mean something in the world and can play it smart. B. Watford subscribes to The Rule of Cool, so if it's cinematic and epic, go for it. On a personal note, I've gone through B. Watford's detailed and comprehensive character creation process before, and it produced one of the best characters I've ever written. I highly recommend giving it a go, if for no other reason than to see how well you do with it. Zeitgeist closes for applications on March 1st, so be sure to get those applications in quickly. Uh, very quickly, we we had a lot of games to choose from for the game of the week, and I do want to give an honorable mention real quick to Chrono Jackers by Orpheus. Um, that game, I, I haven't looked at it too closely, but I do remember the concept for it being extremely cool. Let me pull up the ad real quick here. Um, it's using a Powered by the Apocalypse modification called City of Mists, and at the core of the game, it's a heist game. But uh, there's escape routes or time, right? 
Uh, yes, that is correct. Yeah, their escape routes are through time travel. So both of those games, I will put links in the Discord chat, and I will also put them in the forum post when the episode goes live on sound. Now, the real question is, would your uh, detailed and comprehensive character creation process survive the Nathan rubric? <laughs> um, I, rubric of player demoralization? I have not put them together, but if they did come together, I think people would just not apply because it's too complicated. Well, I mean, the rubric is pretty easy. The problem is you find out where you rank early, and then you have to wait and (laughs) agonize. Yeah, I don't know. If you put them together, it might turn out to be a disaster. That's just like being the first person down the mountain. (laughs) All right, and with that, it is time for everybody's favorite section of the show, the question and answer segment. So... Ask us anything you want. Uh, it can be about Mythweavers, it can be about gaming, it can be about previous topics, it can be about topics we've had tonight, uh, it can be anything you want. But first, we have to answer the mandatory question, what's making us happy this week? And we will start with Colin. Well, and as a lot of the Discord group in the general chat knows, I finally escaped the dumpster fire that was my previous employer. And I'm starting at a new place on Wednesday. That is awesome. Congratulations. That is awesome. All right, Mordai. Well, at the risk of, like, stepping on Ruben, um, Stargate Command just launched the uh, the prequel uh, web episodes, and the first three are now available for free for anyone who wants to go watch them. And I'm looking forward to pulling them up just as soon as we finish Arc of Truth and Continuum, which are sitting on my nightstand ready to go. All right, and Ruben. Uh, well, I'm also excited because uh, Hulu dropped all of ER, all like 15 seasons or whatever it is, and I've been working my way through that. It's been fun, you know, seeing a young George Clooney, uh, seeing, oh, what's her name, Kingsley, the gal who played uh, River Song and Doctor Who. Just so many great stars. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Also, Sanders running a Planescape game, and I got into that, and I'm super excited about that. Let's see, for me, um, what's making me happy this week? Well, I got my tax returns, so yay. <laughs> You've already finished them? Wow. Oh yeah, I, f- I file mine as early as possible. I'm yeah. still waiting for the small business taxes to come back so I can file mine. I'm still waiting on probably a dozen 1099s. The joy of freelance! Yeah, uh, somewhere, somewhere my uh, 1099Rs are working their way through the system. So, yeah, that's what's making me happy this week. All right. So now uh, feel free to ask your questions. Um, While you are typing up your questions in the text chat, we do have a couple here that we're going to go through. Um, We're going to start with, are there any rules you wish were kept around from older versions of systems? Uh, This can be like D&D or Shadowrun, or is is there an old rule that they got rid of that you wish they had kept around? Controversy ahoy here. Um... (laughs) I'm going to go with, and I'm an old school D&D player, I will say, back in the day. How far back in the day? Redbox. There we go. Different character classes leveled up at different rates because they actually took somewhat of the time, really through trial and error, but I'll give them a little credit here that they had worked it out to try and relatively balance out the power creep between spellcasters and non-spellcasters. I love D&D 3.5. I play a lot of it. Um, but the fact remains that spellcasters advance really quickly relative to non-spellcasters, and you get to the point eh, within uh, six or seven levels that um, there's a pretty good divide that's very hard to bridge. So, yes, spellcasters were piddly four-hit-point creatures through the first 5,000 experience points of their existence, but you know that meant that the, the fighters mostly kept up with them through the point where they could uh, start dropping three or four fireballs a day. So I'm going to say, uh, for me, it's actually from D&D 4th edition. There's a few things I loved, and one was uh, everybody kind of having the same power structure. I thought fighters having awesome powers, like come and get it, was amazing. I also thought that the rule for all magic weapons return to your hand when thrown was good. Uh... That and I really liked rituals. I like the idea that anybody could cast rituals. And while they're still in 5th edition, I feel like a lot of the really cool ones in 4th edition 
weren't included, and there were some really cool ones. People are worried that we're going to be edition warring, but I actually agree with you, Ruben. All those were were some of the really neat aspects of fourth edition. So yeah, well, I'll throw sorry, out there. No, you're fine. I'll throw out there that um, while this isn't a rule that a new version got rid of, this is a rule that I wish I could bring from another system. So the entire book ultimate intrigue for pathfinder i wish i could just bring that whole book over to D fifth edition uh what particularly did you like about that so ultimate intrigue introduced actual rules for social combat and navigating your way through social circles and like so it's basically all the intrigue stuff so it's like nobles and loyalty and gaining favor and like i just wish i could bring the whole book over to 5th edition. Nice. Let's see. I'm just looking at my shelf of games. Oh, you know what? Um, I liked the Technomancers from 4th edition um, Shadowrun, but then I like the ones from 5th. I think Technomancers not being able to do Overwatch is stupid. But then I guess there's... Uh, I actually prefer 4th edition, and so there's actually stuff from 5th edition I backport into 4th. I gotta, I gotta say, like, 4th anniversary, specifically. Yes. Yeah, that's what I specifically mean, too. Yeah, for 4th... for Shadowrun. Like, that... one of my all-time favorite systems. Me, too. Oh, and you know what? I love the fluff of Changeling the Dreaming a lot more than Changeling the Lost, but I think all the Changeling the Lost rules work a lot better. So I wish I could just take all the fluff from Dreaming and put it into Lost. So, Colin, what about you? What about, uh, didn't Stars Without Number just come out with a new system? It did come out with a new system, actually. And Arctis, <clears throat> Arcticus is uh, all excited, too, because he's running... Actually, I think we're the only two running Stars Without Number games on Mythweavers right now. But it takes away a little bit of the complexity. I love the first edition of the game, but it kind of simplifies some stuff. It condenses some skills down, adds a couple other things that I thought were kind of neat additions, but without... So all the splat books from the original version are still compatible with the new edition. Oh, okay, so there's there's not really a question there of what rules do you wish they had kept around, because they just kept all of them. Right, so there's there are clear differences. You can't take a first version character and drop it right into the second version without issues. But there's a conversion guide to help you move it. It's very straightforward. All right. Well, we are still waiting for questions from the text chat. Uh, we do have another question here we can answer. Um, so I will pose this to everybody. What is your favorite fantasy or sci-fi race, either monster or PC playable? Just one? Yep. How do we choose? Maybe there's a rubric. <laughs> Nathan, oh. is there a rubric? Well, just name a couple that you like then. You know what? I'm going to go Ferengi. I thought that DS9 did a lot to make the Ferengi a really interesting race, and I really, really loved Quark and Rom. So yeah, Ferengi. That's my answer this hour. All right, uh, Mordai? Ooh, uh, well, I'll go with fantasy. I'll say dwarf, because they have a characterization that makes them unique. This is not to say that elves aren't unique, but they've been so... I don't know, immortalized, made made so different than humans that it's hard to really get into the right mentality to be elvish. Dwarves, on the other hand, have a, a human, a human-like quality well enough that I, I think personally for me, it's a lot easier to get into character for a dwarf because I can understand kind of the way they would think. It's, much more difficult to uh, to think like a thousand year old being would think than uh, than something who uh, is is a little more like uh, like the sons of earth. Although half the time I've seen him just as short Scotsman. Well, uh, that does get a little bit old. You ha- you have to actually <laughs> read the source material and not be um, um, overly stereotypical. Yeah. Oh, I love dwarves too. All right, uh, Colin. Favorite sci-fi race? I'd go with the Hork Bajir from the Animorphs. That's what really dragged me into sci-fi. What is Animorphs? Serious? Yeah, I'm you heathen. Um, so Animorphs is a young adult um, sci-fi series about a alien race that is invading Earth. And the way they do it is they have these little things that attach to your brain 
and take control of you. But there is this group of teenagers who are given power to transform into animals, um, basically at will. There's like a process for how they get an animal that they can turn into, but... Um, yeah, basically they can turn into animals and they're fighting against this al- this secret alien invasion that nobody knows is happening. Okay, so it's like were-creature Power Rangers. Yeah, basically. Huh. Oh, okay. It was, it was a very formative series for a lot of, well, you know, the people that are now late 20s to early 30s crowd. Ah, see, I just dated myself, that's why. Oh, I know, you're old, so is Mordai. Let me get my cane. <laughs> yeah, there get we go. Get off my lord. So for me, I am going to go with... Let me see. I'm going to go with a sci-fi ring. And I have to say Skittermanders from Starfinder. They're basic tiny furry goblins with six arms and they're adorable. Um, so Oh yeah. my god, that's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's a great way to put it, Articus. It's basically Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Oh, those guys are awesome! He And they have this really weird social structure that I won't go into because it's very confusing and complicated, but it's it's very they're very cool. If you ever get a chance to read about them, do so because they're awesome. Oh, can I do a fantasy race? Sure. Maybe we should both do one sci fi and one fantasy? Sure. Uh fantasy wise Actually, I really, really like Dragonborn, especially as they were kind of put forth in uh, fourth edition. Uh, kind of no, no surprise, considering that I also love Klingons, and they're basically big fantasy Klingons with dragon trappings, and dragons are also cool. So, yeah, Dragonborn are awesome. Uh, so my favorite fantasy race, I-, I gotta be pretty stereotypical. I like dragons. They're just cool. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think dragon was actually an answer. Yeah, any race, monster or player character. What's your favorite color of dragon? Um, I'm a fan of blue dragons. Dang, huh. you stole mine. <laughs> really, blues? Yeah. Lightning man. Yeah, they See, shoot, they breathe lightning. That's why I actually like the brass dragons because they're also lightningy, but they're also coastal, and I love hunting pirates. And the idea of like a dragon having a layer underneath the water in like an air-filled cave is just awesome. Oh, man, that's something I want to bring into 5th edition. I want a new Draconomicon like they did in 3.5. Oh, that would be awesome. It's the one three five book I still have on my shelf, despite not playing the system, just because I think all the illustrations and fluff are so great. All right, so we did actually get a question from text chat. Um, oh! What is our favorite sci-fi movie? Thank you to Arcticus for the question. I have to pick just one? Yes. Yeah. All right, What's- I'm going to go out... On a limb, E.T. Really? No, mad respect for that. No, that I'm no not trying to diss it. I just that's interesting. It was probably it was the second sci-fi-ish film that I, it was actually the second film I ever watched in theaters. Um, the first being The Empire Strikes Back. Um, but E.T. is the one that caught my mind in terms of what could be out there in in terms of. The variety of the universe. I mean, it's it's easy to think of the universe has to be full of a bunch of creatures that are like us. Uh, E.T. wasn't, but there's commonality that can always be achieved, and that was what inspired me. So, I might get a little bit of hate, but um, I'm gonna go... My favorite sci-fi movie is Equilibrium. I love that movie. I'm trying to remember what that movie's about. So, it's got... Uh, Christian Bale in it. He is the lead character in a dystopian society where the government administers drugs where people cannot feel emotions. And he stops taking the drug. And it's about him and his family. It's it's very interesting and very good. And it's also a very good action movie. Um, it didn't get as much recognition as it should have because it came out the same summer as Minority Oh. Yeah, so not a lot of... Everybody is, went and saw Minority Report, and not a lot of people saw it. Not a, not as good of a sci-fi movie. No, not at all. I'll agree with you. Mind you, Equilibrium was a little iffy on the science part of sci-fi, but God, it was fun. Yeah. And the action was fantastic. Oh, man, that scene in the dark room? Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> you know, for me, I think it's a dead heat between Wrath of Khan... Or Titan A.E. 
Oh man, I love Titan AE. Oh, I Titan that was AE. very underrated. Titan AE oh. was so good. Uh, yeah. Well, um, what's his name? Buffy. Um, Whedon. Whedon was one of the writers on that. Oh yes, Planet Bob. <laughs> yeah, that was a criminally underrated movie. I really wish it would have gotten a sequel. All right. Uh, can I put in a second? Sure. I, I, I really gotta gotta say Blade Runner. See, I consider that cyberpunk and not so much sci-fi. Yeah. Anyway, how are you going to break down the genre? Man, I, mean, I don't disagree. Blade Runner is awesome. Of course, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm hitting at the edges of sci-fi here with ET and Blade Runner, I suppose. So, I'll, I'll, I'll take that hit for being uh, edgy. Well, it's all speculative fiction. Oh man, when I was in New York, we went to the Museum of the Moving Image, and they had one of the arcologies from Blade Runner, one of the props set up and like all the lights in it and everything. It's amazing how detailed those things are. But the whole arcology was maybe about as tall as I was. I thought I saw another question. It was about which fantasy I... series would we want to have an RPG or uh, sci-fi series. No, that's not... I can't find it. There's a lot of posts. Arcticus hit us at 917 with favorite sci-fi movie and or series. So that's just kind of a, a bridge of where we were. Uh, aside from that, I don't see any other... Okay, I guess someone... I, it m- might have been deleted, I'm not sure. Okay, uh, the other... What, what fantasy do you like as an RPG? Furies of Calderon. Oh my god, yes. That would be Damn it, Ruben. awesome. <laughs> I was gonna pull that one out, too. You bastard. I've actually been working on a uh, DFA-derived version of it, using mantles for each of the elements. Interesting. Um, well, since you took my answer, or, well, that is an excellent answer, um, let me think. Uh, Colin, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> nice deflection. Clumsy deflection. I mean, we could all just have the same answer. That, I mean, I gotta be honest, that does sound so cool. <laughs> well, and I mean, the other ones that I like already have systems there's already a mistborn well yeah and chibi amy just pointed out there's already a mistborn rpg yep i've never played it but i have wanted to it looks really cool i mean i'm not you know what i got one the cinder spire series Ooh, that's another good one Uh uh-huh has the second book come out yet i don't think so uh, no, it has not. He's finishing up the next Dresden Files book first before he starts writing it. Yay! I mean, I'm disappointed and excited, so I mean, it's kind of... Uh, the Cinder Spires one is his Aeronauts Windless. Yes. Yep. I got him to sign both my Dresden Files RPG book. Oh, what? Oh, God. <laughs> I thought we had left this behind. That's never going to die, and you know it. It's your fault, too. I guess... The All triumphant right. return of Grok, the Dwarf Slayer. <laughs> the Dwarf Stomper, thank you very much. Alright, uh, we have time for one more question. So, um, Chimi says he has a question, so we will wait for Chimi. Uh, okay, uh, Chimi wants to know when the Night Case Book 2 is coming out, and at the rate things are going right now, it's going to be probably summer or fall of this year. So, okay, for, for those of you that don't know, um, I did write a novel. Um, it's a f- urban fantasy novel, and it came out early last year. So, um, unfortunately, I, I have some of the second book written, so it's... It's not like I haven't even started. It's just I need to follow through and finish it. So uh, that is probably going to come out in either summer or fall of this year. All right. So uh, we got one more question. Orpheus has a question for us. Go right ahead. Okay, so Orpheus, I guess this is a question primarily for me. Um, how did you push yourself to finish the novel? Because I know I have a lot of problems finishing just a short story. How did you just push through all 260? Um, so the thing that actually helped me a lot was I had someone <laughs> that I could give what I'd written to, and they were able to, it was actually uh, Mrs. Nate, for those of you who care, Um, it was her, and she read the entire book, and every time I would finish a chapter, I would send it to her, and she would read it, 
and then she'd come back and say, hey, I want more. So um, that is ultimately what made me finish the book. But also it was I just stuck with it and I didn't really care about how good it was until it was finished. And once it was finished, I was able to go back and evaluate how good it was. All right. So, before we wrap up for the evening, I would just like to take a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. We have several tiers of rewards, ranging from us taking your topic suggestions more seriously than non-patrons, all the way up to receiving a free copy of my latest novel, which we were just talking about. Another reward that's coming out very soon is on March 10th, we're going to be doing episode 3 of Lost Minds of Fandelver where Ruben is running myself, Colin, and Mordai, and Merlana, and Chimi through Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is a D&D 5th edition uh, adventure. So contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. The patrons over at Patreon help make this podcast possible, so if you haven't already, I'd encourage you all to check it out at patreon.com slash mythweavers. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. So Uh, thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat as always. I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Ruben. Hello. Mordai. So long, and thanks for all the games. And Colin. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.